Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Lots to cover, it seems, every day. I try to bring you the facts and the substance in a way that is compelling, if not intriguing. And in order to do so, I look at different angles of different things. And one gentleman, Professor Paul Kengor, who's an old friend of mine, he's been on this program before, is a very fascinating piece in the American Spectator about Putin. He says, many observers are questioning the mental health of Vladimir Putin, including this publication. And for very good reason. After all, what kind of leader engages in such brute activity toward the people of a neighboring country who've done nothing to earn his savage rage? Yes, what sort of man? It's high time that I publicly share and print a story about Putin that I've shared with my students for several years now at Grove City. Since it was first told to me, I'm publishing it here for the first time, The American Spectator. Vladimir Putin has an assortment of hounds. Think Hound of Baskervilles sort of hounds. Among them are some of the meanest, nastiest mongrels you've ever seen. They aren't cuddly lap dogs or yipping uh, uh, dash hounds or happy little puppies with names like checkers. That's dachshunds. No, these are ferocious attack dogs. Ferocious attack dogs. In behavior strange even by Russian macho standards, Putin seems to maintain these creatures as extensions of his manliness. And he measures unmanliness by those intimidated by his beast. He's applied this beastly standard to several world leaders, including one of our own, President Barack Obama. I first heard of this Putin dog thing from a former student who went on to run a very successful international consulting firm and whom I must leave nameless for reasons that will be obvious. I'll call him John. John has high-level security clearance. He's done close advisory work with the National Security Council and has personally spoken with presidents dozens of times. He advises foreign governments. He's met prime ministers of Britain, India, and German chancellors, and others. One day in the summer of 2014, John went to Moscow for meetings with top Russian officials in the Kremlin. He speaks Russian fluently. John was in a meeting with three other Americans and six or seven Russians. One of these Russians John had met in Washington several weeks prior. John was bewildered that this particular Russian had made a big deal about President Barack Obama's dog, Bo, a friendly, playful creature that the Russian dismissed contemptuously as a wimpy and unmanly dog. He intimated that this made Obama wimpy and unmanly. He asked John repeatedly, incredulously, why his president would have such a weak and unimpressive dog. John said he really didn't know, he didn't think it was a big deal, and tried to move off the subject. Circle back to the summer, that meeting in Moscow at the Kremlin. As the group convened around the table, John was taken aback at the sight of none other than Vladimir Putin himself suddenly darkening the room. The brooding Russian strongman strolled in. This was totally unexpected. Sure, John had advised Russians but had never met their authoritarian-in-chief Putin, 
Well, Putin walked up to John and the Americans and said to them in his expressionless voice, come with me, I want to show you something. John didn't need to wait for the translation. He told his colleagues, let's go, he wants to show us something. In total silence, Putin led the Americans through some corridors and down various sets of stairs into the literal basement of the Kremlin, a place where bad things had happened over the years, as John, a student of history, knew well. There, the grimacing Putin showed them roughly ten of the fiercest-looking canines that John had ever seen. They were restrained in large cages. Putin then looked at the Americans and said simply and sternly, this is what a real dog looks like. Tell your president. Putin then left. That was the only thing he said to them and wanted to show them. He left the Americans there with an aide, who then brought them back to the meeting room. John told me it was one of the weirdest things he'd ever experienced. It was utterly surreal, he told me. It was also very Russian. It was indeed. There was a lot of meaning in this about Russians, about Putin, and about Putin's views of his lesser adversaries. I immediately shared the anecdote with the late, wonderful Herb Meyer, good friend who was a high-level official in the CIA during the Reagan years, and an astute foreign policy analyst and Putin watcher. His colorful assessment is worth quoting. Quote, we used to have psychiatrists at the CIA and everyone, including me, made fun of them from time to time. It was irresistible, but they were there for a serious purpose. It's important to know if your adversary is a bastard or a crazy bastard. There's a difference. He then stated, quote, I've thought for some time that Putin was becoming untethered from reality. This story provides some evidence to support that view. Obviously, a crazy bastard's more dangerous. So this is very worrisome. <clears throat> it is indeed. Has Vladimir Putin worrisomely become a dangerous, crazy bastard? We're getting our answer in Ukraine right now. For the record, there's precedent for Putin's mad dog behavior. Readers right now might have a vague recollection of a similar story involving Putin. Correct? Remember, it involved... German Chancellor Angela Merkel. I understand why he has to do this, said Angela Merkel in 2007, referring to Vladimir Putin, to prove he's a man. He's afraid of his own weaknesses. Russia has nothing, no successful politics or economy. All they have is this, she said. Wow, now there's a statement. What could have possibly prompted such a harsh, bitter assessment by one major world leader against another? In more than one of their meetings... Vladimir Putin brought in his dogs to saunter and sniff at Merkel, who's terribly afraid of dogs, and Putin knows it. One incident in Saatchi in 2007 was recalled in a profile of Merkel in The New Yorker. In this case, the dog was reportedly uh, Putin's black lab, Ronnie. That was in 2007. My friend Job's episode, John's episode, was in 2014. Putin's behavior has only worsened since. To be sure, Putin and the Russian people generally are known for their appeals to manliness. It isn't just Putin, it's a Russian thing. Bill Clark was a great man, who was Ronald Reagan's national security advisor, and uh, the most crucial player in Reagan's effort to take down the Soviet Union, frequently locking horns with the Ruskies, used to sum up Russian behavior for me by simply saying, 
That's Russian, Paul. That's Russian. I'm Clark's biographer, meaning we had many such conversations over the years. I would send him the latest photo of a rifle-bearing shirtless Putin slaying a rhinoceros to the great satisfaction of the Russian people. Bill, I would ask Clark, how do you explain this? His answer, that's Russian, Paul. That's Russian. But even by Russian standards, this Putin dog thing is strange. Sure, it's comical, but it's also a little crazy. It seems very revealing of the man's psyche, his psychology, his behavior, how he acts toward his own people, toward dissenters, and toward neighboring countries and their leaders. And it is indeed worrisome. It seems a metaphor for Putin's Russia, which seems to have literally gone to the dogs courtesy of its mad dog of a leader. So it's Kengor's take, Professor Kengor, Grove City, who is a tremendous student of Russia and communism, not to mention the Cold War, of course, that Putin is, in some ways, to some extent, mad. Which makes the situation more dangerous, not less. Well, that's my friend, Professor Paul Kengor. I have a different view. I do not believe Putin is crazy. I believe he's evil and vile and a mass murder. Unless you define that as crazy. Um, And I understand what President Trump means when he calls him smart. You can be evil and smart as well. You can be righteous and stupid, like Biden. Um, And President Trump put out a statement the other day, which pretty much conforms what I was explaining when I watched him at CPAC, and he was taken completely out of context by George Stephanopoulos, who was effectively lying to Senator Cotton and the rest of the boobs and boneheads in the corrupt media. President said this, that's Trump, the winos, warmongers, and fake news continue to blatantly lie and misrepresent my remarks on Putin, and they have, because they know this terrible war being waged against Ukraine would have never happened under my watch. They did absolutely nothing as Putin declared much of Ukraine an independent territory, quote-unquote. There should be no war waging now in Ukraine, and it is terrible for the inhumanity that Biden, NATO, and the West have failed so terribly in allowing it to start. Instead of showing strength and toughness, they declared the global warming hoax as the number one threat to global security, killed American energy independence, and then made Europe, the U.S., and the rest of the world dependent on Russian oil. They laid down the welcome mat and gave Russia the opening. Now Putin may be getting everything he wanted, with Ukraine and the rest of the world suffering the consequences. It's terrible, but this is what you get with Biden, the Democrats, and rhino warmongers. I think that sums it up, and that's pretty much what he said at CPAC. And yet, ABC News, their Sunday show with George Stephanopoulos, lied. And they kept pounding away at Senator Cotton, who was very sharp and wise not to take the bait. But some Republicans are too stupid. They take the bait. They're clowns. And some of them want to take the bait, like Kingsinger and Cheney and other lesser lights. And that's true. And that's Trump's statement, and that's effectively what he was saying 
before he had to issue this statement, and the media know this. Now they'll keep dumping on Trump, and yet it is Biden. It is Biden who refuses to use the most potent weapon we have. And it's not in the Pentagon. It's in the Interior Department. Federal lands. Federal leases. The most potent weapons we have. Oil pipelines. Fracking. Rather than turning off the spigot, we should be turning on every spigot we have. We should be flooding our market, the European market, the world market, with fuel, with petroleum, with oil and natural gas and everything else. We should be flooding the market, driving down the price of a barrel of oil. It's now at, I think, $107 a barrel. That's, that's a new modern record. Rather than releasing oil from the strategic reserve that lasts literally 36 hours, That oil was put there by Trump when oil was cheap and for true emergencies. It's being used by Biden and his party as a political joke. And the world knows it, and everybody else who knows about that knows it. But he will not embrace American companies. He will not embrace capitalism. He will not embrace fossil fuels unless that fuel is produced by Russia. We are buying fuel from Russia today. Europe is buying fuel from Russia today. What the hell for? Now, to me, Joe Biden is sabotaging the Ukrainian effort to defend itself, it is, he is sabotaging NATO, and he is ultimately sabotaging the United States. How come they don't say that on the Sunday shows? So-called climate change, the degrowth movement, is a war against capitalism. It is a war against your lifestyle. It is a war that gives aid and comfort to our enemies, who have no intention of using air or sun or electricity, or anything else. The Democrat Party and their president is incapable of effectively fighting Putin. If Putin loses or goes down, it's not going to be because Biden was some great leader uniting Europe. It's in spite of him. This convoy of Russian tanks And armored personnel carriers that have been stuck, they say, stuck for days because of a lack of food and fuel. That's not because we're so smart. That's not because Biden and Blinken and Austin have come up with such a genius idea on how to deal with the Russians. It's in spite of the Three Stooges. The truth is the Russian military is vulnerable. But nothing is going to be done effectively to defeat them until we open up all of our fossil fuel spigots, drive their economy into the dirt like Reagan did, take those treads off the tanks by by starving them, and what? Giving these people the weapons they need, javelin missiles and so forth, to defeat these bastards. 
Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. A whopping 70% of American adults believe U.S. troops should be involved if Russia invades a NATO member. Now that's going to upset the neocon artists in broadcasting, in the media, uh, in the think tanks who've retired from the military, don't you think, Mr. Producer? The American people are very sensible, except in the last election, but even there, there's serious questions. And by the way, we are going to spend a little time on this one state after another, one battleground state after another. The evidence is coming to the fore, and the media don't want you to hear a damn thing The radio uh, media, the TV media, the print media, they don't want you to hear this. But we'll deal with that a little bit later. 70% reports Blaze News of American adults believe U.S. troops should get involved if Russia invades a NATO member. Ever hear of Moldova, Mr. Producer? It's a tiny little country. Southwest border of Ukraine, tiny little country. I think some people have, but not many. I believe the Attorney General of Arizona is from there, isn't he, his ancestry? I think so, I could be wrong. But uh, a very fine man, by the way. And also, um, some of these tiny little Balkan states. Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, on the border and close. Hmm. What will the fakers who pretend to be American firsters, what will they think about? The populist nationalists, I guess we would call them. Even the United Nations has proved a resolution deploring Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Some 140-some members voted to condemn it. Wow. And you're seeing stories from the Daily Mirror that would be British, Russian troops in disarray and crying as some mutiny on a warship. Then you have the Army Times amid fears of Russian air dominance, U.S. to send anti-aircraft stingers to Ukraine. I, I read some of these with a grain of salt. There's a different analysis by a military analyst, Bill Rogio. In the Daily Mail. And he says. Russia's not losing anything. They've not been going as fast as they want. And so forth. But they're doing what they do. This is what they do. These slogs. These. These violent. Citizen centered attacks. It's nothing due. And the point is, when you think back to Stalin and so forth, this is the way they fight. And I told you about this gentleman who came up to me several days ago and said, the media do not understand how the Russians fight. They fight in three tiers. First tier, second tier, and then the third tier is the top, top, and the most powerful. Doesn't mean the army's perfect. Doesn't mean the tactics are perfect. But doesn't mean they're falling apart either. This is why if you're going to hammer 
this invading army, which is slaughtering civilians, then you need to unleash your energy production. I don't understand the ideological obsession with doing the opposite. I don't understand why we're not pouring weapons into Ukraine for the Ukrainians to use. And something I mentioned on Hannity last night, I don't understand why the MiG-29s that were promised the Ukrainians and their pilots fly MiG-29s. Remember, Ukraine had been conquered by Russia before. I don't understand why they weren't delivered, because all of a sudden Poland and two or three other countries that had them stopped. And I suspect Biden and our State Department. Why? Because I hate Biden? That's quite beside the point. Because Biden is scared to death of triggering something bigger. And what he is incapable of doing is showing deterrence. Biden shows weakness rather than deterrence. Europe is showing deterrence. Ukraine is showing deterrence. Switzerland is showing deterrence. Biden is not. He wants to keep reassuring the Russians as if he's a neo-con artist, an isolationist, an American laster, if you will. The way I explained it last night, well, why rather than say the way I explained it last night, I was on Hannity last night, as some of you saw. Rather than say what I said, why not listen to what I said? What cuts are there here, Mr. Producer? Let's go to cut 11, please. Go. The Ukrainian people are very, very courageous. That woman is very, very courageous. They have a president who will be remembered for a thousand years, Zelensky. I'm hearing a lot of happy talk on our network in a lot of places about how the Ukrainians are holding out and so forth and so on. Folks, don't be fooled. The Ukrainians need more weapons. The president of Ukraine has said it over and over again, Zelensky, what he needs. They need to take out their helicopters. They need to take out these tanks. They're not getting the weapons they need, and they need more. Uh, That doesn't mean the Ukrainians won't fight and fight hard. Obviously, they are. It doesn't mean the Russians have been the most competent army on the face of the earth. They're not. Uh, But uh, this government, our government, has been shameful. You talk about oil. I've said last week, and I'll say it again. Joe Biden has put more sanctions on our oil companies than he has on the Russian oil companies. What kind of fool does that? He said nothing about it tonight, and he wasn't going to. The fact of the matter is they were going to be MiG-29s, old Russian jets that, uh, that the Ukrainian pilots were going to get, and they're used to flying those jets. They don't have to be trained because that's the same kind of jets they had. Poland was going to give them to them. Some of the other countries, all of a sudden, it stopped. Well, what happened? I worry about our our feckless buffoons at the State Department pulling that back. These people want to fight, but they can't fight with their bare hands and rifles and pistols. I mean, they can, but that's not going to win. If we would give them what they need, if we would have given them what they need, this would be a real serious setback for the Russians. I hear people saying they had hoped to take uh, Kiev sooner and this and that and the rest. Let me tell you something. When you're there in Kiev, and you're being fired upon, you're not, you don't care if it's Saturday, Wednesday, or Thursday. These people need our support. So yes, prayer. Yes, support them. Now give them the damn arms that they need to defend themselves before it's too late. That's number one. 
Number two, this guy Biden gets up there and he says, buy American, buy American, buy American. And the best line of the night came from my wife when she said, buy American? You're not even letting us buy American oil. We're buying Russian oil. We're buying Saudi oil. We're buying everybody. Else. Go union, union. You're killing union jobs in the oil patch. This speech tonight was a rambling speech. In one word, it was monotonous. Or maybe another word, supercilious. It's as if they added the Ukraine piece at the front and then we had to build back whatever that damn thing is at the back end where he goes on and on and on with the Bernie Sanders agenda. The man has created inflation. The border's wide open. He didn't say a damn thing about supporting our military tonight. The police, he basically said, you know, we're going to fund them. Nothing really else. We have a murder rate going through the roof. Everything this guy touches turns to crap, whether it's domestic or foreign policy. He's destroying what Israel and the Abraham Accords have achieved. Nobody's talking about that. He's going to violate federal law. He's not going to bring Congress in on that. So now Iran on his watch is going to have intercontinental ballistic missiles with nuclear warheads. What do you think China's thinking right now? Now, China's probably thinking, well, Ukraine's pretty tough. Maybe the Taiwanese will be tough, too. But I don't have to worry because Taiwan's not part of NATO. So they're not going to come to Taiwan's defense anyway. This is what happens, by the way, when you have the isolationists, what I call the neocon artists, out there talking about how we're the instigators. This is what happens when you undermine the United States military. This is what happens when you elect Democrats. Let's be honest about it. We've had a lot of false Pied Pipers here. That, what does Ukraine have to do with America? I don't know. What does South Korea have to do with America? Or Taiwan have to do with America? Or Israel? Or Venezuela? Or Cuba? Or any of the rest of them? They have everything to do with America. Because once these genocidal maniacs get headwind, they don't stop. But I just want to be clear thinking and sober about this. Russia has not been defeated. Period. The Ukrainians need our help now and a lot of it. We don't have to send in troops. We don't have to do a no-fly zone. Just arm them with what they need so they can kill these bastards. That's right. If Donald Trump were president, none of this would be happening. It didn't. You don't have to surmise. But if it did happen, you better believe he'd be backing up the Ukrainians with everything we have. He wouldn't be conducting himself like Biden. He wouldn't have shut off our own oil spigots our own natural gas spigots. He would have opened them up wide, and he did it even before. The idea that Anwar is shut down, the idea that we sh the enemy is shooting at our allies and we're shooting at ourselves. And we're told that Joe Biden's leading the world. The world of what? The world of stupid? He's not leading anything. He's barely doing anything. Quite frankly, he's barely doing anything. Now, here's Kamala Harris on the Today Show. The Ukrainian they want to people. Know Hold on now. They want to know, too, about why aren't you cutting off Russian oil and gas? Cut eight. Go. The Ukrainian ambassador has said 
the only way to really hit Putin where it hurts is to go after his oil and gas sector. And some senators agree, Republican and Democrat. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, for example, mentioned that the U.S. is still currently buying approximately 600,000 barrels of, of crude and uh, other petroleum products every single day. Is that on the table? Is that something that the administration would continue, would consider in terms of further sanctions, cutting off the oil and gas uh, part of the economy for Russia? Well, as you know, that on this issue, for example, we applaud Germany in terms of what it has done as it relates to Nord Stream 2, as it relates to what we need to do domestically as well as, as what we need to do in terms of this issue generally. We have, as the president said, uh, reevaluated what we're doing in terms of the strategic oil reserve here in the United States to make sure that it will not have an impact or we can mitigate the impact on the American consumer. Uh, but let's, let's take this one step at a time. I'm understanding that right now on the issue of energy, our allies have stood firm and unified in a way that many of the pundits didn't predict would happen. All right, ladies um, and gentlemen, the answer is no. They're not going to. When a politician takes, you know, 50 sentences to say yes or no, you know they're full of crap, which she's full of. Wendy Sherman is the Deputy Secretary of State. She's a left-wing goon. Did I say that? I did, and I meant it. And she's being questioned by Brian Mast, who is a hero. He's my congressman in Florida. And what does he say in this exchange with the Deputy Secretary of State? And what does she say? Cut seven, go. Should Europe and the West divest, Western Europe and the Western world divest of Russian energy, in your opinion? You know, I think that there is a lot of rethink, and there will be, about energy security worldwide. I think you had heard from the president last night that, combined with other countries around the world, we've done a release of strategic petroleum reserves of 60 billion, uh, 30 billion, 30, sorry, 60 million, 30 million from the United States. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, to put this in context, by tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, All of that will have been used up by you and me. That's how preposterous this is. Go ahead. But I do think that the whole world is rethinking energy security over the long term. There will be a transition era. It is not only in our national security interest because of situations like what we're currently facing, but it is in our national interest because climate change... All right, folks, do you have any understanding of... Oh, climate change, of course. They're always transitioning, these Democrats, have you noticed? Always transitioning. Uh, Climate change. You see, this is because of climate change. I don't know, those people dying in Ukraine. Is that about climate change, do you think? So the hard left, the American Marxists, and the Democrat Party have now defined climate change as the willingness to allow the slaughter of people in the name of climate change. Think about that. That's what they're arguing. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Gail King on CBS This Morning News, which none of you watch, nor do I. Pressing. Kamala Harris. Pressing her. Cut nine. Go. 
I hear you on that, but those images are heartbreaking to watch. We see innocent civilians being killed. We see children being killed. And the administration has made it clear there will be no boots on the ground. What will it take? Will anything change that? Will we stand by and watch innocent people continue to be killed here? Well, Gail, you're absolutely right. It's heart-wrenching. It's mm. heartbreaking. There, there, the image of a missile that, yes. that struck just right next to a, a children's playground. Uh, the Ukrainians who are, as civilians, taking up defense of their nation out of pride and also an understanding of what is at stake in terms of their vitality and their independence. So it is heart-wrenching, to be sure. But I will tell you, the president is clear. We are clear. We are not going to put U.S. Troops First of all, you're not clear. That's number one. Go ahead. The Russians, not on the ground, not in the air. But we are going to continue working with our allies to, one, defend every inch of territory as it relates to NATO territory. Why is she there? Why is she on TV if she's just going to be a uh, basically a hand puppet or a sock puppet, puppet for Biden? Is because Biden doesn't want to appear anywhere? Certainly not early in the morning or late at night as the spittle issue becomes an issue. We're not going to give up one inch of NATO territory, they say. Not one inch. Are you folks aware that Taiwan is not part of NATO? Are you aware that South Korea is not one part of NATO? Are you aware that Israel is not part of NATO? Are you aware that Venezuela is not part of NATO? And I could go on and on and on. So is that the test? Is that the test? Apparently so. Now, nobody's been proposing troops in uh, Ukraine, except, I guess, Gail King at CBS this morning. I mean, I think we've made it very easy for this administration. Open up the spigots for oil and gas as a major national security tool and push as much ground to air. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Interesting how that so much of the conservative media is usually a day, day and a half behind this show. That's why you're here. I'm blessed to have you here, and I'm blessed to know that you know it. I am Mark Levin, and I'm glad that you're here. The other day I said, and I want to reiterate this, that since Vladimir Putin has hit squads out to try and take out Zelensky, A tremendous leader, as I say, a man who will be remembered for a thousand years, and he will. Given his courage, given his statesmanship, leadership, under really incredibly awful conditions, knowing full well that if they get him, they're going to kill him. He's the number one target. Well, if in fact they get him, because they believe by taking him out that they will that they will just so drive the Ukrainian people to spirit them 
that they won't fight back. I also said that it's my great hope that Zelensky and the Ukrainian military have put together their own hit teams to do the same to Putin. To do the same to Putin. And that is to get hit teams into Moscow to threaten Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin has assassinated an awful lot of people. He's assassinated oligarchs that wouldn't give them wouldn't give him their money and part of their industries. He's assassinated political rivals who became popular. He's assassinated people in his own circle who'd become popular. He's assassinated journalists. And yet he still has his supporters here in our own country. It's really quite incredible. That's why you should dismiss them. As freaks, frauds, and phonies. But I'm quite serious about this. The Ukrainians should try to do with Putin what the Russians are trying to do to Zelensky. I believe this strongly. I also want to thank some in the media who were toying with this idea of standing for Russia against Ukraine. We're toying with the idea that America first meant America last, effectively. Who blamed, I don't know who they, the neocons, that's right, the Jews. The usual lies. Same people make excuses for the regime in Tehran, and I want to address that soon. Because as this is going on in Ukraine, the Biden administration is not done wreaking havoc on the rest of the world. It's giving the Iranians billions through the back door. It's going to cut a nuclear deal with them. It doesn't much care if Israel and the, and the Arab countries agree with them or not. And then we have that to deal with. And of course, there's China, the greatest threat we face. And uh, we, have, we have exactly the worst president, exactly the worst secretary of state, and so forth. But Biden wanted to assure you last night that we are imposing powerful economic sanctions. And I want to assure you that the Europeans mostly are. We're going along, but we're not doing anything that, that would result in truly crushing what the Russians are doing, which we should be doing. Here's what Biden said briefly. Cut 16, go. Together, along with our allies, we are right now enforcing powerful economic sanctions. We're cutting off Russia's largest banks in the international financial system, preventing Russia's central bank from defending the Russell ruble. ruble. Why don't you cut off, uh, hey, mumblers, why don't you uh, cut off all their banks? Hmm? What are you cutting off their biggest bank? How about cutting off all their banks? Go ahead. Making Putin's $630 billion war fund worthless. <clears throat> choking Russia's access. His war fund is not worthless if we're not cutting off all the banks. Go ahead. Choking Russia's access to technology that will sap its economic strength and weaken its military for years Their to come. Their technology 
for years to come. We're trying to deal with what's happening this moment, in the moment. In the moment, Joe. Go ahead. Tonight, I say to the Russian oligarchs and the corrupt leaders who built billions of dollars off this violent regime, no more. The United States... I don't know what that means. You know, he's he's sending up a special unit, he says, in the Department of Justice to go after the oligarchs in Russia. Let me tell you, that is nothing but... um, Nothing but BS. Oh, he may be setting it up. But ladies and gentlemen, we have 93 United States attorneys. We have several thousand assistant United States attorneys. We don't need a special unit. Just put out a directive to go after them. You know, pretend they, they were trespassing on January 6th on the Capitol grounds. Then, you'll, then, the, then the prosecutors and the FBI will really be hungry. Go ahead. The United States Department of Justice is assembling a dedicated task force to go after the crimes of the Russian oligarchs. We're joining with European allies to find and seize their yachts, their luxury apartments. That's all well and good, nitwit. But the Ukrainian people are fighting for their lives right now. Right now. And what are you going to do about it? You're certainly not going to open up the oil spigot in this country. And I bet the Ukrainians would say, please do that. Please get us the arms to defend ourselves. Go after the oligarchs. That's fine. But you know what, ladies and gentlemen? That's easy stuff. That's easy stuff to direct your Department of Justice. Go after this. Go after that. Go after that. Easy stuff. It won't save a single Ukrainian life. Not one. It won't protect a single Ukrainian city. Not one. Go ahead. We're coming for you, ill-begotten gains. And tonight, I'm announcing that we will join our allies in closing off American airspace to all Russian flights, further isolating Russia... Well, maybe I'm missing something. Is there a big Russian flight situation going on in America? Mr. Producer, have you ever seen a Russian jet in America? I mean, maybe they have a few uh, tourist planes. Why? Are we doing a lot of commerce with Russia? Are they sending a lot of planes into the United States? We're cutting off airspace in the... Wow, again, how courageous. How tough was that? And how many lives will that save in Ukraine? Not one. How many cities will that protect in Ukraine? Not one. Meanwhile, you could turn on the oil spigot in this country, which would destroy their economy, certainly take it a long way in that direction, harm their military, but you won't do it. You do the easy stuff because it makes you seem tough, right? Corn cob or whatever the hell he called himself. Go ahead squeezed on their economy. Hmm. This is what happens when you have an economic illiterate like Joe Biden. He's destroying our own economy. And he thinks he's destroying the Russian economy. What will destroy the Russian economy, if anything, will be the Europeans. And he's following the Europeans. He's not leading the Europeans. Now, what does that tell you? That's pretty weak. That's very weak, as a matter of fact. 
I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right, folks, for now, we're going to move on a little bit here. Uh, I think you should be very, very concerned. The latest word is from the New York Sun that the Biden administration is reaching a deal with the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran. It's not enough that, they, enough that they've caused havoc everywhere else. And I obviously I don't have all the details, but it looks like Biden is preparing to pay up to $11 billion in ransom for four hostages. Listen to this. $11 billion in ransom for four hostages. I remember the Reagan administration with the Iran-Contra minor, and uh, they turned that into an impeachable offense. They were trying to get Reagan. Here, it's a matter of policy. Biden can do whatever he wants, apparently. So they're preparing to pay up to $11 billion for four hostages as a cover, believe it or not, to re-enter the Iran deal where the Russians have been negotiating for we, the American people. And uh, that's a staggering amount. That's as much as 25% of Tehran's entire annual budget, as the New York Sun reports. Fantastic newspaper, by the way. So, of course, the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran will use that money to continue to advance its nuclear weapons program. They have no intention of stopping their nuclear weapons program. We have no intention of stopping them from their nuclear weapons program. I am telling you, in four years' time, Joe Biden is going to have done more damage to your children and grandchildren, to the security of this nation, to the sovereignty of this nation, to the constitutional and economic system of this nation, than any president in American history. That's how grave this situation is. That's how grave it is. Really beyond belief. And as they point out, Benny Avni, this is shaping up as an even larger capitulation to Iran than the original appeasement that was struck in 2015. And they could sign this deal as early as next Monday in Vienna. As early as next Monday in Vienna, without Congress's approval. Without Congress's involvement. In violation of federal law, and of course the whole thing is in violation of the Constitution. This is a big deal. A very big deal. Very worrisome. Iran, China, North Korea, Russia... They're constantly threatening us. Like right now, Putin says through his toady, who's the Secretary of State over there, foreign minister, talking about nuclear weapons. And so they have suspended a, a, a testing of an advanced launching system or, or a missile, I should say. So as not to provoke the Russians. This is an amazing thing to me. What do you think Reagan would have done? He would have immediately tested it. 
Again, you have got to show determination. You have got to show deterrence. Or you get a situation like you get in Ukraine or Afghanistan or now with Iran. This is actually quite frightening what's happening. Now, we're not the ones who are the provocateurs. We're not the ones looking for war. And so you have to think strategically. Okay, fine. So what do we do when we're confronting people who've gone to war and may well want to expand war? Well, let me ask you this. What do you do on the playground? You turn your back, you close your eyes, you cover your head. You call out for mommy. What do you do? I don't want to antagonize the bully. Well, the bully's a bully. He doesn't need to be antagonized. He's picking on people, particularly people who appear weak. Or may I say delusional. Dumbfounded even. How does Biden appear to you? Both mentally, physically, and in terms of his policies. How does he appear to you? A disaster. That's how he appears to me. An absolute disaster. ExxonMobil is pulling its $4 billion Russian oil and gas operations and halting new investments after the Ukraine invasion. What do you think of that, folks? Now, Nicole Hannah-Jones is a fraud and a phony and a fake. She's also an American Marxist. She's into the whole critical race theory, which is why she's embraced by the pro-Stalin, pro-Hitler, pro-Castro corporation called the New York Times Corporation. Why they pushed her propaganda, her hate America founding, hate America period propaganda, and the 1619 Project. She is claiming Europe is not a continent and calling... Ukraine, a racial dog whistle. This is a truly sick individual. And I would argue pretty dumb one, too, based on what historians have said in criticism of her. And yet there she is, held up as an iconic figure. She's not an iconic figure. She's a con. Oh, maybe she's a neocon artist, you might say. That's her position in his 1619 project. I'll be right back. This is America's Constitutional Convention. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now. 877-381-3811. All right. Getting my papers in order here. Getting my papers in order. Is it not amazing how quickly the whole vaccine and mask issue just disappeared? Poof. Isn't it, Mr. Producer? Your kids went to school maskless. I think my grandkids are now maskless. I wonder if the airlines are going to hold on to their mask requirements. And the airports, too. But it isn't an amazing, ladies and gentlemen, how right we all were and how wrong the enemy was. Oh, yes, the enemy. 
how right we were about herd immunity. These experts. Well, I had on my various programs as we took the lead here to battle tyranny. We weren't against vaccines. We were against tyranny, mandates. How wrong these corporatists were. How right real experts were who don't take a government check. Experts at Stanford. Experts in Israel. Experts at Oxford. Experts at Yale. Experts at Rockefeller College. Real experts. Practitioners. Almost to a man and a woman, may I say. They kept talking about herd immunity, herd immunity, herd immunity. Where's Dr. Fauci tonight, ladies and gentlemen? I haven't seen him for about a week. Have you, Mr. Producer? There's got to be a variant out there because he's going to... He's going to need his shot in the arm with the media. He'll get very depressed if he doesn't continue to get all the attention drawn to him. What happened to all the graphs and the charts? What happened to all the reportage? Where is it? Where is it? Where's Saturday Night Live? Where's Stephen Colbert and the other freaks and phonies? Where are all the reprobates? Where are all the shows? How about that, Chuck Todd? George Stephanopoulos? And the other Democrats dressed up as losers and journalists? We kind of noticed this about four or five weeks ago, remember? We're saying, um, how come they're not pushing vaccines right now? And then we pointed out a noted Israeli expert. An infection expert. Who said Omicron is going to destroy, destroy the virus. It's a variant of the virus. But the side effects are quite mild. And yet, you will get the antibodies. You will have natural immunity. And that, in the end, is what did it. Joe Biden tried to take some credit for this. He gets credit for nothing. He couldn't even get tests produced on time, or even in the United States. By American, he says, many of these tests were made in China. China! Under Joe Biden, we're buying more oil from Russia, and we're buying tests from China. And he talks about buy American and American unions. If you're an American union member in the private sector, you ought to have enough of this already. Stop being BS by the Democrat Party that sides with the radical, phony American Marxist movement and the degrowth movement and the anti-capitalist movement and the anti-American movement and all the rest of these Movements they have. One big constipated movement. Or lack thereof. You don't hear anymore. Now the masks. All of a sudden. All of a sudden kids don't have to wear masks anymore. Right before the state of the union. Or shall I say state of confusion. That's right. No more masks. Wasn't that long ago. Fauci was there talking about two masks. And goggles. Or don't, don't put your guard down. Another variant could be right over the hill there, he, he used to say. And that wasn't that long ago. And there they were at the Constipated News Network and MSLSD 
and all the rest of them spewing forth. How about big tech? Oh, they have geniuses working at big tech, don't they? No, basically morons. And anybody who dared to question, anybody who talked about herd immunity had to be destroyed or disappeared, if you will, no matter their credentials. So big tech made it their business to make sure you were not properly informed. What about the likes of Joe Rogan, and he wasn't alone, and others who were attacked because they wouldn't go along with the science, with the flat earthers? Hmm. And Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, he wouldn't go along. Well, then, he had to be destroyed by the clowns at ESPN, or as we call them here, S-Pen. Over there at S-Pen. Because we all know the ex-jocks, wannabe jocks, and all the rest. Absolute geniuses when it comes to medicine, science, and social policy. Nobody's smarter. Hey, let's take a knee. Mm-hmm. So we don't see it anymore. The vaccines and the math disappeared. Well, Mark, the, the science has changed. No, the science has not changed. When you listen to quacks, you get quackery. And unfortunately, we have quacks spewing quackery throughout the government, getting government checks. They circle the wagons. They try to destroy anybody with whom they disagree. They won't release their emails. They won't release their data over there at the CDC. You got morons who are pushing people who have the virus into nursing homes. Now, we knew that elderly people were most vulnerable, and they're most vulnerable to everything, the flu, you name it. So we have a great idea at the CDC with our multi-billion-dollar budgets and our multiple layers of red tape and our overpaid bureaucrats. We have an idea. What's that? Well, if people get the virus, put them in the nursing homes. Hey, it's like the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. But they must know. How do they know? They're walking around with stethoscopes. So they must know they have stethoscopes hanging from their ears or their necks down to their chest. They're official doctors. They're wearing white coats. Maybe they're Klansmen. No, 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 no. They're doctors. They got white coats and stethoscopes. Oh. And they're wearing those glasses, you know, with that are kind of circular and they're really small, like you're really smart. You know, the smaller the lens, the bigger the brain or something like that. And they talk fast. And so if they talk fast, they must know what they're talking about. Plus, they have the New York Times supporting them and the Washington Post. They're trashing Trump. They're trashing his supporters. They're trashing Fox. They're trashing conservative talk. They must be right. What a bunch of stupid morons. You got to wonder how many lives they've cost and ruined. With the masks. hundred years from now, they'll be writing about this. Fauciism. Like a bad hemorrhoid. They'll be writing about Fauciism and the masks. And I swear one day I'm going to be proven right about a lot of things, but one thing in particular here. They're wearing these useless masks and inhaling your own carbon dioxide was a serious medical and scientific 
disaster. Nobody asks them what I ask on this program over and over and over again, which means the backbenchers will ask again tomorrow, which is this. If you're trying to wring carbon dioxide out of the environment, which of course is ludicrous, but if you're trying to do that, we can agree. We can agree that too much carbon dioxide isn't exactly a good thing. But if you're literally inhaling your own carbon dioxide for hours and hours at a time on an airplane, kids at a school, at a seminar, if you are literally inhaling your own carbon dioxide, how can that be good? How can it not be really bad? And these scientists at NASA, oh, NASA, the NASA scientists, they got to be smart. They're at NASA. They've got to be smart. They're at the CDC and the FDA and the this and the that. They got to be smart. They told us to wear masks, and yet they tell us carbon dioxide is going to kill us. It's going to destroy the entire planet. But if you inhale it directly into your own nose over and over and over again, Every other breath. Well, that's helpful. You have to be an idiot to believe this crap. You watch one day, maybe it'll be an Israeli scientist, a scientist, it won't be a government scientist. No, no. They're invested in the politics of all of this. You know all those masks you folks were wearing? Yes. All that carbon dioxide, you would in hours at a time, days at a time. You would even see Biden supporters, you just know they're Biden supporters, driving in a car by themselves, windows up with a mask on. You go, uh, hello, hello, moron, doesn't matter. In your own home, Fauci said with a mask. In your own home? Oh, yeah. The Fauci's do it, it must be right, but of course they didn't. One day, you watch, it's going to be demonstrated that that was a disaster. Come, we'll be right back. Lovin. I don't know what happened to Matt Drudge. I have no idea. He went to the dark side. And I don't believe he's ever come back. He and his friend Ann Coulter. I don't know what happened to them. Ask me if I care. I don't care. They give aid and comfort to the to the crackpots of society. Um, it's not something I think about it. Really, I haven't thought about them in a long, long time. I haven't thought about them in a positive way in even a longer time. What do I know? This is really incredible. So I cannot ignore this stuff, and I won't. Canadian News, breaking Freedom Convoy organizer Tamara Lick, L-I-C-H, is shackled in court. Post-millennial, I want to thank you for bringing this to our attention. Freedom Convoy organizer in Canada, Tamara Lick, appeared in court on Wednesday seeking a bail review Lick, who was denied bail last week, denied, appeared in court wearing shackles around her feet, which made it difficult for her to move. 
The judge asked that those shackles be removed, according to David Aiken. Lick was denied bail because, in part, Judge Julie Bourgeois, Bourgeois believed that there was a risk that she would continue criminal actions. You believe this? I think Julie Bourgeois would be a fine judge in Leningrad or Moscow. Lick has argued that the judge who ruled against her receiving bail was a liberal candidate in 2011 and holds bias against her. Therefore, Judge Bourgeois was a liberal candidate for Glenary, Prescott, and Russell. Sounds like the judges we have in D.C. who keep ruling against the president, that is President Trump. The Crown, however, said the former liberal candidate had given ball, excuse me, oy, had given bail for Chris Barber, another organizer of the Freedom Convoy protest. Oh, God forbid. There's a substantial risk you will continue these actions and will not abide by an order, the judge told Lick. Well, if she does and doesn't abide by your Stalinist order, then you can go collect her and bring her back. Your recent history in our city satisfies me that your detention is necessary for the safety and protection of the public. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a a relatively common citizen who had the guts and the temerity to take on the uh, the government. The judge also said that Licht was being guarded and that her attitude was almost to be obstructive. You must conform, and you must conform to what we say. The accused is liable upon conviction, a lengthy term of imprisonment, the judge said. In her affidavit, Lick said that her indigenous identity was not fully accounted for in her bail hearing. See, she's trying everything to get out. Lick's lawyers are arguing that bail hearings should consider the Gladue principles. According to legal aid, the Gladue principles are a way for the judge to consider the unique circumstances and experiences of indigenous peoples. Oh, my God, what are they doing to this woman? Is it possible, Mr. Producer, to reach out to Tamara Lick's lawyers and see if they'll come on the program? They may not because the fact that it's ongoing and these judges are obviously, uh, aren't much of judges at all, quite frankly. We'll be right back. Things are happening in the States that the media do not want to tell you about. Some media do, not the main media. Not the main propagandists. We even have a publication called Common Cause Pennsylvania, which I'm sure is from the radical left Common Cause, but maybe not. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court, this Pennsylvania Supreme Court is corrupt, intellectually corrupt. It's made up of five Democrats and two Republicans. And at least four of these five Democrats are hell-bent on using their elected positions, elected positions on the state Supreme Court to turn Pennsylvania into a dark blue state and to make sure that the electors in Pennsylvania are always delivered to the Democrats and the Democrat Party. When the Florida Supreme Court attempted to do that, the U.S. Supreme Court stepped in. You may have heard of the case, Bush versus Gore, in 2000. Back then, you had somebody like Karl Rove and others who supported raising questions about what the Democrats were doing. Now you have to shush because it involves, of course, Trump. 
And we all know Trump can't be trusted for this, that, or the other, as the argument goes. Now, here's the situation. The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania is looking at a case that came up from the appellate court of Pennsylvania. And that appellate court ruled that Act 77, which changed the election laws, failed to amend the Constitution of the state the way the state constitution must be amended and has been amended almost since the founding of the state, a.k.a. the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. But the legislature decided to do it a different way. They got panicked because of the virus and so forth. And so there's this challenge saying, no, it's unconstitutional what they did. The appellate court heard the case and ruled, you know what, you're right. The amendment process wasn't followed, so it would be the same if we did this on the federal level. You didn't get three-fourths of the states, either through state legislative votes or conventions, to adopt an amendment. You just pass a statute and change the Constitution. Well, that's what happened in Pennsylvania. This case went to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, and the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania by a sleazy procedural move, would not, would not even hear the substance of the case. Then when it was raised with the United States Supreme Court, they sat on their asses for a couple of months till they decided not to take up the case. It was mute now, you see. A companion case, not officially, but in reality, went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court challenging the constitutionality of what the legislature had done and subsequently what the governor had done, the Secretary of State had done, and the state Supreme Court had done in further expanding voting quote-unquote rights, and of course they're not rights, voting processes that the Democrats had demanded and wanted, thanks to Mark Elias and his, his ilk. That case was brought to the United States Supreme Court. It looked like Alito might, might have the uh, muscle to take it up with three other justices. It takes four justices to take a case. Looked like Clarence Thomas wanted to. Maybe even Gorsuch, but that's where it ended. Amy Coney Barrett is an enormous disappointment. And so is... Uh, What's the other guy's name? I can't remember. Kavanaugh. Enormous disappointments, both of them. Whereas the Rehnquist court was strong because they had a strong chief justice, the Roberts court is weak because they have a chief justice who's gone Hollywood, likes the press, and I understand his wife and Thomas Friedman's wife, her best friends, are very, very close. And so you can see the consequences of that. And yet it reads here, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has granted an emergency motion in McLinko versus Commonwealth, which challenged Act 77 as unconstitutional. That's the statute that changed the voting system in part that is unconstitutional. The court's order will act. The court's order will allow Act 77 to remain in effect while the court considers the case. So they're going to keep it in place while they consider the case. Now, keep in mind, this is the same group of ideologues dressed up as justices 
the same group that just adopted the most radical gerrymandering plan that came to the court from a bunch of plaintiffs, including plaintiffs represented by lawyers of the Mark Elias ilk. So they took the most radical plan, brought to it by plaintiffs, and imposed it on the state legislature. That's the court. That's the tyranny of the judiciary in Pennsylvania. And yet the judiciary in Washington, D.C., the Supreme Court of the United States, sits on its hands. Because they're worried about a bad article or two. What a disgusting disgrace. Now, of course, Common Cause welcomes this. They think it's great. Act 77 remains in effect. Uh, but, of course, Common Cause would. Because that, they're, that on that, they're on that side. So there's been an appeal made to the Supreme Court of the United States by the American Legal Foundation and others. But the American Legal Foundation, of which my wife now assists, is a fantastic organization left by, led by Stephen Miller, among others. Other legal groups getting involved in these cases include my old landmark legal foundation, where they're providing support to some of these cases as well. Now that's Pennsylvania. How about we go to Georgia? Just the news, John Solomon, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, says the next step is to get state election board to issue subpoena targeting whistleblower who claims he was paid to illegally collect ballots. He vows to follow the money in harvesting probe and prosecute if warranted. Somebody gave him some smelling salts and apparently he's woken up. Georgia's election chief is vowing a full-scale investigation into allegations. Democrats may have illegally harvested ballots in the 2020 election saying his team is preparing subpoenas to follow the money and bring prosecutions if warranted. Do you understand this, Liz Cheney? I think I'm going to call her for now on Dizzy Cheney. Do you understand this, Dizzy Cheney? Adam Kingsinger, you understand this? Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, nobody of Trump's, by the way, sought to dispel whispers in conservative circles that he is slow-walking the probe He announced in January, explaining to Just the News, John Solomon's outfit, that the only delays are related to administrative changes on the state elections boards. That panel possesses the power to issue subpoenas. Raffensperg says his investigators need to solve the case. That's Georgia. And there's more. There's a documentary being put together by our friend Dinesh D'Souza which apparently has actual video footage. So much video footage that decisions have to be made about what goes in the documentary and what goes out of the documentary of paid individuals who apparently are bringing boxes and boxes of ballots to certain locations and taking boxes of ballots from certain locations. And there's a piece in Newsweek, as I speak, that actually does a pretty decent job of reporting on this. What did you say, Mr. Producer? I'm sorry. Oh, yes. 
We have a special guest coming on right now, so I should give him a little bit of space, as they say. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. It's a great honor to bring our friend back here, Senator Ted Cruz. How are you, sir? Mark, my friend, I'm doing terrific. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing very, very well. Uh, country's going to hell, Ted, but I'm perfectly fine. I um, wanted to ask you some, I think, important questions here. Can you please explain sure. to me why Joe Biden won't, from a national security perspective, if nothing else, open the spigots to our oil and natural gas, pull the coal out of the ground, use it to crush Putin's economy and his army. I mean, I, have you ever heard of anything like this or seen anything like this? Look, Mark, what you're asking is is incredibly reasonable. It it it, it is a no brainer, uh, which means the chances that Joe Biden will do it are essentially zero. And and I, and I think it's two factors that are at play. One, Biden, when he was sworn into office made the decision to hand the agenda of his administration over to the radical left. It, it is the fringe. It is Bernie Sanders. It is Elizabeth Warren. It's AOC who set the agenda. And it's one of the biggest surprises. You know, Biden in 2020, he campaigned as a, as a reasonable centrist moderate. And, and from day one, he abandoned that. And it's been the radical socialist fringe. So when it comes to energy, the first week in office, he shuts down the Keystone Pipeline. The first week in office... He bans all new leasing on federal lands and offshore drilling. The first week in office, he opens up our borders, stops building the wall, returns to catch and release, and, and rips up the Remain in Mexico agreement. And, and, and you look at the State of the Union last night. He's continuing to follow the tune of the drummers of the radical left. So they won't let him increase U.S. energy production because the Green New Deal and the radical anti-energy left is setting the, the agenda. But secondly, there's another problem that is equally fundamental, which is on foreign policy, Joe Biden and his entire team embraces weakness and appeasement. You look at every enemy of America. They believe the answer is to give them what they want, to negotiate a way to surrender, whether it's Afghanistan surrendering to the Taliban whether it's Russia waiving sanctions on Nord Stream 2, giving in over and over again, whether it's, it's Iran, they're in the process of trying to give the Ayatollah over $100 billion that he will use to build a nuclear weapon. They believe in appeasement. So I'll tell you, Mark, when you sit down with the president, when you sit down with his team, to a person, none of them believe we can win. They all believe Russia is going to conquer Ukraine, that it's a done deal, that there's nothing we can do to stop it. And at the end of the day, they're perfectly fine with Putin reassembling a major part of the Soviet Union. If they were trying to win, they would unleash energy, they would boycott Russian oil and gas in the United States, and they would lead the world in boycotting Russian oil and gas. It would be the single most effective thing we could do to fatally wound the Russian economy and stop the revenue stream that is funding this war. But, but Biden doesn't believe we can win, and so he's not trying to. And then, uh, you know, I don't get the sense that we are providing the Ukrainians with the military equipment they're begging for, or 
the the incredibly uh, courageous president of Ukraine wouldn't have to keep asking for it. And uh, yeah. I get the sense also that the Europeans are providing more weaponry than we are. Do we know? I don't know. So we don't know the specifics. We know several things. We know, number one, look, going back to Barack Obama, Barack Obama repeatedly refused to give Ukraine any lethal military aid, even after Russia invaded Ukraine, invaded Crimea in 2014, Obama was sending them blankets and teddy bears. And, and I and others in the Senate were leading the fight to send lethal military aid, and Obama blocked it. Fast forward to Joe Biden. Biden last year twice halted the shipments of military aid to Ukraine, once in April, once in December. Biden did both of those because he was trying to negotiate with Russia, and he thought that by cutting Ukraine off from military assistance, that, that Russia would be likely to make a deal. He doesn't understand that Putin and all, all bullies and tyrants, they don't respect weakness. And, and I can tell you in January, there was a bipartisan group of senators that went to Ukraine. And when, we got, when they got there, and there were you know, cameras in tow that were filming everything, uh, they were unloading shipments of lethal military aid from the United Kingdom because the Brits had stepped forward and were providing military aid to Ukraine, and, and, and they were so shamed by the cameras showing the U.K. stepping up and doing what the U.S. should do that Biden finally began providing some military aid, but we need to do much, much more. We need to be providing them with stingers and javelins in significant numbers. And, and, and listen, there's an important distinction. Under no circumstances should American troops be engaged in combat against Russian soldiers. That is far too dangerous. We shouldn't be sending our sons and daughters to risk their lives. But we should be providing the military weaponry so that the Ukrainians, who are engaged in incredible acts of heroism, can defend their own homeland and give them the tools to take out the Russian planes, the Russian tanks, and defend themselves. And Biden is doing a little bit of that. We don't have a firm accounting, but not nearly enough, and we need to do much more. Now let's turn quickly, if we can, Ted, to the uh, president's State of the Union speech. I have to admit, if I wasn't going to come on Hannity, I followed you, I think, I wouldn't have watched it. It was monotonous. Yep. It was predictable. It seemed like they threw on the front end of the speech the Ukrainian stuff, and then they, they went back to their laundry list under the better, whatever the damn bill is. And, um, and, and, and all he keeps on is government, government, centralization, centralization. Then he throws out a few one-liners. We believe in funding the police and securing the border. No, he doesn't. He hasn't done anything. Yep. Well, well, what you, do you you're, think you're exactly. I, I think you're exactly right. It, it was the 10th State of the Union speech that, that I've heard from the floor of the House, from the third president. And it was by far the worst speech I've ever heard. And, and the reason is, is, is several things. Number one, it, it, it acknowledged some of the problems we have, inflation, skyrocketing gas prices, um, the, the invasion of Ukraine. But Biden utterly covered up and ignored his own responsibility for that. If you talk about inflation, he needs to say something about the trillions in spending and debt that he pushed through that caused the inflation. If you talk about gas prices going up, he's got to acknowledge his policies that are hammering U.S. oil and gas production. If he talks about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, he needs to talk about his decision to waive sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and, and essentially greenlight Putin's invasion of Ukraine. He ignored all of those. 
But secondly, and this was really striking, look, you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist or a sophisticated political observer to know that the wheels are coming off of the Biden administration. He's polling in the 30s. That's a problem. A State of the Union is a chance to change path, and they did nothing to tack to the center or change path. Instead, he kept going to the hard left. I, I, I think it was stunning how ineffective it was. Senator Cruz, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program, my friend. And uh, we want to do whatever we can to advance your agenda in the United States Senate. So God bless to you and your family.